Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Simple in design, but complex in execution. In a few words, this summarizes the transcontinental race. This is the definitive self-supported bicycle race across Europe. At the sharp end, it is a beautifully hard bicycle race. Factors of self-reliance, logistics, navigation and judgment burden racers' minds, as well as their physiques. The strongest excel and redefine what we think possible, while many experienced riders target only a finish. For those unfamiliar with the TCR, Transcontinental Race, it was founded in 2013. It is a single-stage race in which the clock never stops. Riders plan, research, and navigate their own course and choose when and where to rest. They take only what they can carry and consume only what they can find. Four mandatory control points guide their route and ensure a healthy amount of climbing to reach some of cycling's most beautiful and historic monuments. Each year, riders cover around 4,000 kilometres to reach the finish line. The race is supported by long-term race partners and friends at Pedal... pedal, pedal sorry. Pedal Ed. <laughs> it's an easy one, but, you know, apparently I find it hard. Pedal Ed, Kinesis UK and Apidura. This year, Physic and Commute joined the sponsor group. The longevity of the race relies on these productive and creative partnerships. In its seventh edition, the transcontinental race route crossed Europe from east to west, starting in Burgas in Bulgaria on the Black Sea and finishing in Brest on France's Atlantic coast. This year's winner, Fiona, represents enormous progress, not just for ultra-distance cycling, but for the transcontinental race, with its entreaty to riders to ride in the spirit of self-reliance and equal opportunities. With TCR policies aimed at encouraging more women to race, the hope is Fiona will be a part of a new brave generation of female ultra-endurance racers, and the norm will be to see men and women um, racing for the top spot. Absolutely. This evening we will hear um, experience of the TCR number seven from different perspectives. I'm looking forward to a lively uh, panel discussion. And those online, please do remember to submit some of your questions as well. My name is Biola Babawale. Um, I ride and race for London, um, London's Women Cycling Club, Velocity Posse. 
<laughs> Thank you. And I'm excited to host this evening. Um, our panel is Fiona Kolbinger, winner of TCR number seven. Thank you. Thank you. Traditionally, the TCR is a race that rewards experience, but not so with Fiona. TCR number seven was her first ultra-endurance bike race. She only started cycling somewhere between three and five years ago. She is now training to be a surgeon in Dresden. Over to Bjorn. Bjorn Lenhard, a, a veteran of numerous editions of the transcontinental race. In numbers four, five, and six, he finished 26th, second, and third, respectively. He also holds the record for the fastest time on the PBP, which is the Paris Brest Paris, with a time of 42 hours and 26 minutes. Let's give a clap. And um, next um, on our panel, we have um, the first man home, Ben Davies. Uh, a veteran of a TCR number five, placed 44th, and number six, where he finished 10th. And then we go over to the pair. <laughs> Rachel Batts and Jim, who competed in and finished the past two editions of the race. Let's give a warm welcome to them as well. And sat as the trio at the front, um, we have Rory, who is a race coordinator. Rory raced TCR number four and has been a member of Lost Dot and race coordinator for the past three editions. Next to Rory, we have Anna um, of Lost Dot, who helped organise TCR number three and four and has been in charge of the past three editions of the race. And last but not least, we have photographer James, who is official, has been the official photographer for TCRs number three, four, five, six and seven. Before we kick off our discussion, I'm very excited as we have a sneak preview of the trailer of a forthcoming film, previously t provisionally titled um, On Board the Transcontinental Race, by Antonin Mouchard Soy of AH Studio Filmmakers. It was filmed over the past three editions of the TCR and is due for release later this year. Let's take a look.
<rire> La simplicité retrouvée. about pushing yourself and discovering things so I think people are going to discover things on here. they really have to keep going all the time and you contrast that to maybe some riders slightly further back in the mid pack and you start to see actually how what a toll the race takes on them and it's trying to find a way of photographing them that shows a little bit of that It's an extreme experience in, in more ways than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's, it's kind of one thing fighting through tiredness and fighting through heat and fighting through fatigue and hunger and stuff, but I can't pedal. The whole thing is designed to make it uh, harder for everybody. Excellent, thank you. So just another quick reminder to those online, um, please do submit questions and we'll cover them in the panel discussion and also during the Q&A. So I'd like to start off with Anna. Oh. <laughs> so I started off by describing the TCR as a race which is simple in the design but complex in execution. As the race organizer, how do you protect the spirit of the race? Okay, can you hear me? Um, so for us, the spirit of the race is what makes the TCR what it is. And it was something really important to Mike, and obviously it's really important to us. Um, and we feel like our main job as the organizers is to communicate that spirit. Yes, I can. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> sorry, I can't look at you. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, we feel like our our main job is to um, communicate the spirit of the race uh, as effectively as we can to everybody who's interested in the race, um, whether it's somebody who wants to race the race or somebody who's just interested in seeing what these crazy people are up to. Um, so in every part of organising the race, 
what the spirit of the race means and how we communicate it is like sort of kind of fundamental to what we do and um so yeah our main job is to just communicate it well and then hope that we do it in such a way that people who get it will race and then the people who race tell everybody else so if we can get the right people to race then and we can sort of tell the story of the race then we can tell that story well and the races who do race our race they tell that story for us and uh, they communicate that spirit of the race by being respectful to each other um, a commitment to sportsmanship um, a commitment to self self sufficiency to to yeah, racing to rule 10, basically. Um, so that's... We just try and communicate it, and we leave it up to these guys to do it, and they do it. So. Excellent. Thank you very much, Anna. Um, James. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sound so authoritative. So, James, could you just um, talk us through some of the selection of photos on the, on the wall um, how do you decide as a photographer for TCR how do you decide um, where to be for shots as well uh, I, I'd love to say it wasn't mostly luck but uh, I mean we try and game it a little bit and what we're really looking for is a rider doing something somewhere interesting that looks nice and ideally with some nice light <laughs> But these guys ride all day, so they're not only riding in the nice weather and they're not only riding at the nice time of day. And we want to show that and we want to communicate what they're going through. And it's not just about them being on beautiful roads. It's about showing the little bits and the good bits and the bad bits and following Bjorn into toilets. (laughs) Exciting stuff. (laughs) Excellent. Thank you very much. Rory. I mentioned control, four mandatory control points. Um, could you just talk through how you decide, how you choose the different control points and what draws you to the different CPs, as they're commonly called? So um, control points are actually secondary to parkour. Like for us, the parkour is the main mandatory bit of road. Uh, that always comes first. Once we decide where we want to have riders ride, the second thing after that is actually where it's going to be a good place for us to have riders go to and there's a couple of things we look at firstly we look at um is it going to be safe for riders to get to um is it interesting um does it have good wi-fi (laughs) Uh, and then once we've kind of looked at it and we decide relative areas and i think this year is a good example of that uh, we then go out and we speak to them a lot of the time we do we do lots of wrecking um and we may look at something and not use it for two years. So we have to kind of go back and look at new hotels and decide where we want to have them. Um, one of the key things for this is I need to speak to a lot of people. So for CP4, um, Hotel Du Malin, any races that were here, it was a fantastic place. Um, super amazing. I phoned him up, well, emailed him. He responded back immediately, got read. He was like, oh, I know the race. Yes, we'll do whatever you want. Just come and come here. We're like, oh, this is perfect. It's right on the parkour. Great. Tick. This is easy, Anna. <laughs> um, and then go to CP3. Uh, there was a specific requirement because we wanted to push riders further up. Um, so they had an interesting choice to make which route to take um, through Switzerland or through Italy. Um, 
the Austrians are lovely people, they don't get the race. So when I was saying to them, we're going to have riders coming through, they were like, what, you want to book 100 rooms? No, no. <laughs> we have maybe 200 riders that come over four or five days. That was actually much more harder. Um, in the end, we were quite lucky there. We found a really fantastic place. Um, it was a really old building, 700 years old. The owners weren't really Austrian. They were super relaxed. They didn't really care what we did. Um, <laughs> Uh, no offence to Austrians, uh, um, but they like rules, uh, and they, they didn't really care, and it was amazing. We really, really struck it lucky. Uh, for CP2, um, we found this amazing building that looked amazing. It looked like a, I don't know, spaceship, and we know if, if anyone followed the race this year, Bulgaria has amazing architecture, and it, was a, it just made a natural fit. So we kind of spoke to them, and they were like, why are you speaking to us about something that's 10 months away? Like, we're not interested. Okay, um, can we come? Yeah. Um, the unexpected consequences of that is we didn't realise, because I didn't really communicate very well, uh, that it's a wedding venue. So it was, <laughs> it was mental. It was, me- it, was like, it was like an amazing place, but it was completely mental. And it was amazing. And it looked amazing. And it f- fitted perfectly. So every rider had something different at every, con- every hotel they went to. So CP2, the hotel was just crazy, weddings every half an hour, people coming in and out, people being drunk everywhere. Um, CP3, it was like this beautiful Austrian town, and then if you arrived on a Friday, there was a big oompa band outside, and it was, it was crazy, but you had mad weather. Um, and uh, the Alpe d'Huez, it was a beautiful Art Deco building, and like you could sleep anywhere, and they did good food, and it was cheap, and it, was on, like, it wasn't hard to find. And then at the finish, you had this amazing, beautiful building uh, that had just random people walking around it at all times of night. And that wasn't races. Um, this is youth hostel. It was amazing. So it's a bit of luck, a bit of forward planning, and a lot of hope. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, over to the races thing I think we'd all like to hear if we just start start off with motivation I think we'd all like to hear from each one of you why you decided to race the TCR Fiona do you want to kick off yeah I can Um, so for me the TCR from the beginning um, was mostly an adventure so um, what's special about the TCR is that um, the locations uh, change every year so the checkpoints change um, with every edition of the race and this time it was Bulgaria for example and um, so for the average middle European 24 year old it's just um, not first on the list of places to go to go to Bulgaria to cycle there Um, and this is something that the TCR made me do and this is amazing and this is just one example for the adventure that the TCR provides and um, yeah this was my main motivation and the good thing actually is that the adventure changes every year because um, not only the the places the locations of the checkpoints change but also the weather conditions um, how lucky you are with mechanicals and um, routing issues for example changes and yeah so it's it's a different adventure every edition so that's worth continuing to race I would say (laughs) so thank you Bjorn 
Well, my most motivation is having a nice adventure because it's every year something new, some new places. You experience every year some new difficulties <laughs> in different places, <laughs> in different art of, of things. And, and also meeting people on the road, strangers, which you would never have thought about it. And yeah, that's the main reason, really, why, why I do it again and again. Excellent. I think that's a lovely reason, adventures. Obviously. Yeah, that's, that's really the main reason. Okay. And lots of people you meet there at the road, really strangers in, in places you would never have thought that you meet so, someone. Thank you. Ben, how about you? Yes, same sort of reasons around adventure, but um, I mean, for me, transcontinental, it's, uh, there's a proper community behind the race, so um, I've ridden th the past three editions of the TCR, and you always see new faces, and you always see um, some faces that are familiar from um, previous races, which is absolutely lovely. Um, but on the most basic level, it's just a case of you get... 10, 12, 14 days, whatever it is, on the bicycle constantly. It's awesome. I love it. So it's just riding a bicycle. Um, and then you get the competitive element. So that's what is a real driver for me. Um, sort of, it makes you feel alive. Sort of, um, Yeah, I think it's that. <laughs> Rachel and Jim, the pair. <laughs> I'm going to stop calling you the pair. Stop calling you the pair. Um, <laughs> your motivations to race as a pair, but also to race the TCR. Uh, yeah, so for, for me, I'd spent a few years um, dot-watching TCR first and thought it just looked, like these guys have said, like an incredible adventure, that, um, something that I never really thought that I would do. Um, but then we went on a cycle tour together through the Alps and got carried away, really, <laughs> to be honest, and entered uh, on the advice of a friend. Still a friend. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, it's like these guys have said, it's just it's an incredible community to be part of. That's a big part of why we've gone back and done it again. Um, but, like Ben said, when, how, when do you get to ride your bike for 15 days in a row and do nothing else? Like, it's incredible. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, basically what he said. But <laughs> except that my motivation at the very, for the very first time we entered, so last year, um, I, I'm embarrassed to say I'd not, not actually heard of the race <laughs> um, the year before. And this friend of ours was doing London, Edinburgh, London, and we just started doing some longer rides, and um, we were planning this uh, cycling trip in the Alps. And she said... She said, oh, we've got two friends who are doing TCR. And at the time, that was um, Angela Walker and Julie Bullen, who were the first uh, women to complete the race. And, huh? As a pair. As a pair, yeah. Um, and she said, she said, why don't you enter it? And I was like, well, I don't know what it is. What do you mean? So anyway, she, she didn't really explain. But I, I went home and said it to him, and, and that was it, basically. <laughs> and then, like he said, and they've said, the reason you keep coming back is... It's a bit addictive, really. <laughs> and you just can't, like... It's not fixed route. It's really inspiring having people point out, 
like new roads that you've like I spend quite a lot of time online looking at like cool roads and like making I know that sounds really geeky doesn't it but you're all cyclists are you anyway um and so you just like I, I haven't seen half of them and then they come up with like more exciting roads and it's like I want to do that so yeah that's why we keep coming back <laughs> Bjorn, you mentioned adventures. Uh, the TCR is a very tough adventure, <laughs> as adventures go. In terms of TCR number six, were there any moments where you were close to giving up? Oh, yeah, there were about two to three times where I was really thinking about giving it up. Two times at Czech Republic. The first time I was running out of food and water for couple of hours. I couldn't buy anything because they didn't take credit cards in the small village. I didn't have check phones and they didn't want to take yours. So I was really empty. I was never emptied out like this in my, my whole life. And finally I ended up in a smaller village where I could buy some food and I bought it, had some good proper meal and then I went into a bed and breakfast and had, I don't know, eight hours sleep. And after that, I was fine. Carried on. <laughs> Came to CP3, it was, exactly. And there I got a good mechanic. <laughs> I actually cut off my, my rear tire just two kilometers in, before the top of the, the CP. So I was walking up there, and then I was really thinking, well, what should you do now? <laughs> because I, I lost the lead to, to James already, and from there it's only 200 kilometers to my home. <laughs> what, what, what really makes it not easier I, I was really thinking well why are you going to stay here get, get a hotel, a nice room have some proper sleep <laughs> tomorrow you get down, get your bike fixed and then after two or three days after all the riders have last, left you're going to ride home for 200 kilometer ride <laughs> that was my first impression and singing on it so I came up there, had a good piece of cake <laughs> and a good milk <laughs> And then I was thinking, well, how can I fix this now here? And Well, it was not easy. Actually, I'm running tubeless, and I needed a compressor to fill up my rear tire again. And finally, I really got it fixed there. So I carried on in the afternoon, which was fine. So this was the second time I was, I was close by giving it up. And then the third time, it was down in Bosnia. I was riding into one of the roads. I, I choose maybe for 20 kilometers. It was quite, it was a quiet one. But it was good path in the afternoon and I had about 100 kilometers left to CB4. And, well, the path road changed into gravel road. What is not a problem mainly, but it was getting dark, it was getting cold, it was getting up the mountains. And there were no lights left anymore. So there were no villages or whatever. And I was a little bit scared about it because I didn't have a spare tire with me anymore. My sleeping bag was just for warm places. And finally a car came around and, and I stopped it just to ask, well, what will the road be like? And well, he didn't speak any German, no English. And he was just showing me something with his hands, which I didn't understand at this time really. 
So he left and I left also, keep going this road for another, I don't know, five kilometers or so. And then I said, no, this is, this is just too dangerous. I mean, if, if I stop there, get a real machinery, I have to walk back down for, I don't know, 20 kilometers or so to the next village. So I turned around, keep cycling, and well, at the next village, I stopped at a, at a little restaurant where still a few people were sitting outside. And I asked them, well, what is this road like up here? I want to go to Sarajevo. And they were like, oh, goodness. <laughs> well, finally, they told me, well, this road is closed since 20 years <laughs> because of a big landslide. <laughs> and um, it's almost impossible to, to pass it. So I was sitting there, you know, just checking on my moped what, what roads I can choose and whatever. And they showed me which one I, I should take. And, well, I knew the next one. It was already uh, mentioned by the TCR because of a dangerous one. I said, well, I'm going to be there Monday morning at 8, so it's <laughs> the, the main road to Sarajevo. You cannot take it, so I looked either further, and finally I ended up with 200 kilometers in addition. And this was really quite a hard time, because also the, the people there, I mean, they told me, well, why don't you want to stay here with us? I mean, a friend of us is, is leaving to Sarajevo in two days. I mean, you can have a nice stay here, some food, some proper sleep, and <laughs> he's taking you with you. And, and I was really thinking, well, why not? It's, it's not a bad idea, really. <laughs> but finally, I was thinking, well, why you are here? And so, no. I'm going to keep going. Sorry for your offer, but I have to <laughs> give it back to you. But <laughs> I'm going to keep cycling. <laughs> yeah, these were the three hard times really I had there. Wow. I think all three of those hard times would have definitely caused a few of us, me included, to maybe think about our choices and think, especially think about that warm bed that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the warm bed and having some proper food. Is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tempting. <laughs> For sure. Ben, I want to... Um you mentioned uh, the TCR is a great opportunity for 10 to 15 days on a bike... But from my understanding, this is not the only um, kind of ultra-endurance events you do all year. So I'm wondering, how do you stay motivated and physically and emotionally throughout the year? So I think this year, I've done things a little bit differently this year. So um, I managed back in May to fit in another race. So it just meant I had different goals through the year to focus on. Um, so back in May, I raced, raced through Poland, which was supposed to be a 1,200K, pretty nice warm-up to the, to the year. Warm-up, especially. <laughs> so Bjorn knows this one well. It's, we were both out there. And um, so, yeah, it was, I had in my mind this would be a nice little warm-up for the, for the year. Um, focus on this for the first few months. Um, it turned into four days of the worst weather that I've ridden in. <laughs> I've got hand injuries still from that, and uh, yeah, it was it was nuts. But it was it because it was so extreme. I think it ended up being a very good um, learning experience going into TCR this year, and just was something else that I could concentrate on. Um, because it is, in terms of training, I guess it's keeping goals through the year that you can stay motivated for. Um, but to be honest, I, I just enjoy being on the bicycle. And 
if you have a structured training program that you're sort of working against, it's really easy to see little little progressions. Um, so that was that was really motivating. Um, and I'm really lucky because my partner is really into TCR, so she totally gets it. Um, so she doesn't mind me going away over the weekends, and she doesn't see too much of me. And uh, so that's that's really useful for me. So I say useful. It's uh, useful is the wrong word. So. <laughs> We're both brought into a nice decision, so it's all good. <laughs> um, but yeah, for sure, it's uh, there, there was always a goal in sight, so it's um, sort of something that you're working towards. Um, and we'll be doing Trans Pyrenees in a couple of weeks, so that's another thing to keep it going through the year. So um, going into next year won't be such a big break. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much, Ben. Rachel and Jim, so working together as a pair, you'd think it could be highly motivational. You're both there, you're both together doing that. Could you give us an idea of how you motivated each other and also if there were any pitfalls or in, in terms of working as a pair? Motivated during the race or before the race? Like in training both. or during... Uh, All the motivation. All the motivation. <laughs> um, before the race, I don't know, we, we don't really need motivation, do we? I mean, we, we work together, and we live together, and we ride together. <laughs> so Kind of the opposite of you, Ben, really. Yeah. I, I take my partner with me on the race. <laughs> and we don't really, we're not very good at proper structured training, so we don't, while we know that, like... To get faster, we should be doing like turbo sessions and high intensity stuff. We're not great at that. It doesn't motivate us. So, like one of the struggles I think when you start training for this sort of training for this sort of thing is trying to work out what does motivate you to keep going and keep riding. And we just like riding our bikes. And so, a lot of people advise doing high intensity training, like increasing your upper thresholds because you can always ride at a lower speed if you've got a high threshold whatever it is anyway but we like riding a long way so it's actually quite difficult for us to do the high intensity training and stay motivated to do that sort of thing to help us like get ready for the race so we end up just sort of joining like club rides and things like that to keep us motivated like during the year don't we and like ben said like making targeting other sort of smaller events or we quite, we do quite a lot of audaxes because we can ride in sort of be a bit social ride with friends and things like that yeah and we also try to um combine our training rides with visiting fe- friends and family so we, we pick some people who live a long way <laughs> from us and we ride to see them for a weekend and then ride home again and so we get lots of time on the bike that way um, is probably not the best training for the kind of event that you're doing. And like Rach says, all the sort of threshold training would be better, but it's not the way that we ride. So that's how we sort of keep the motivation going is, is we want to do, we want to go places when we ride our bike. So that's how we do it. And on the race itself, it's, it's a bit different because we, you know, we're both motivated to finish. We both want to finish. So you don't really, the motivation is not letting the other person down. It's not trying to, instill motivation on somebody else you don't need to do that no (laughs) or or maybe you do i don't know (laughs) no 
he's right. The motivation is... It, it, it is not letting each other down. So... <laughs> I'm picking up my pieces when I fall apart at the side of the road. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. We've just um, had a question online from Christian. Um, this is towards Fiona. Um, have you used any mental techniques when you're racing? Um, and if so, which ones? So I'm sorry, but I have to say no to this question. <laughs> um, so actually, um, I haven't used any mental techniques, but I think what helps me um, like keep going is mainly being organized. And this is something... Um, yeah this is actually um, a thing that I have been doing all my life so I'm, I'm a pretty organized person in my head like always planning ahead a couple of months and maybe even um, having a perspective for the next years or so um, and this is also something that I had on the TCR like thinking where would I like to get um, tonight or um, where would be the next place to get some food or what um, what kind of food do I still have in my pockets? What do I need? Um, what should I get at the next supermarket? Um, should I sleep now? How tired am I? Like all those th- thoughts about um, the general body qualities that you have, meaning like how sore am I down there? Do I need some more chemi cream now? Or can I wait some more hours? Or um, do I need to get... Um, yeah, like a proper sleep tonight or is it okay to bivy still with less sleep quality but being faster um, asleep and faster on the bike the next morning. Um, so this is basically um, what helps me to keep going but I, I wouldn't consider that a mental, mental strategy. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now I'd like to move on to some experiences and touch on um, things that you might have encountered during the race. So, Fiona, over to you again. Um, Could you tell us about the hairiest or scariest moment during the TCR? I think, um, well, we have heard a couple of hairy, scary moments from Björn from his last TCR. Um, I haven't had any comparable moments. I mean, I had my... Um, border barrier incident um, that uh, I have talked about a couple of times already so to summarize again um, so I basically bumped into the border barrier between Bulgaria and Serbia after having crossed into uh, Serbian territory so um, I bent the border barrier by crashing into it um, and uh, while I stopped I I, I fell down and I was all right all the time um, my uh, hand, like my arrow bar was also bent, but nothing was broken, luckily. Um, and then I had to stop there, and they confiscated my passport um, for half an hour, approximately. I was really lucky. I, initially, I thought um, this might cost me like five hours, um, because they actually didn't know what to do. So the, the border police was um, then waiting for some advice from their boss, uh, who they had to call, because they had never had this situation before. They just basically didn't know what to do with this bent barrier. And in the end, um, well, the boss came with uh, three strong men, and they bent the border barrier back. They just uh, <laughs> tested, tested its functionality a couple of times, like putting it up and down, and then they let me go after, after taking a photocopy of my, my uh, ID card. Uh, so I 
I didn't have anything in my mailbox from Serbia uh, when I returned home. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm, I'm still waiting for something. <laughs> um, yeah, so this was, um, I, I would consider it more a funny experience than a hairy moment. But of course, this might have gone wrong too. So I, I could have crashed, uh, crashed more severely or um, hurt myself. Yeah, I... I just shouldn't wave to other riders who are next to the road uh, while I'm crossing a border. <laughs> this is something for the next year. Um, yeah, but then, of course, there are also some kind of scary traffic situations all the time. So um, I encountered one situation in Serbia. It was um, uh, going uh, like crossing the Danube um, near Smederevo, um, which is a, a smaller town, but this road was a ring road um, around this town, so it was heavily frequented by uh, HGVs, and it was really mostly HGVs, like 90% HGVs, and so there was no hard shoulder on the road, uh, which made it really dangerous to cycle on there. It was one, one road into each direction, one, one lane into each direction. And um, yeah, I was, yeah, like the, the, the vehicles were just coming really close to me. Um, so actually I was going on this road for about 10 to 15 minutes and I just tried to be as fast as possible because I, I couldn't leave the road uh, anyway. I also couldn't turn around because it was so heavy traffic. And um, next to the road there was nothing. So like I couldn't cycle just outside of the road um, so I just tried to get through this as quickly as possible um, yeah but this was really one of the scary moments and I I mean those traffic situations can happen anywhere basically they can they also happen in London they happen while you are commuting um, so cycling I mean you are out there as a um, as a vehicle you are you are participating in the traffic so something can happen but this was something that I really thought about for a couple of hours afterwards that this might have gone wrong one of the seven or eight times that I was passed really um, closely yeah so this was one of the scary moments I would say okay thank you very much Um, we have a question from Mustafa online Um, I'll read it out and then also add a little bit alongside it. Um, so he mentioned how quite a few riders have given account of crossing paths with wild dogs. Um, did the panel have any scary dog encounters? And I'll add that Miss Staffa has put woof woof in on the comment. <laughs> so any any encounters pan- with wild yeah, dogs? Yeah, so we uh, also at Smedarevo, um, we decided to go... Uh, to, on the minor road towards uh, Belgrade at that point, and uh, there were three hills between Smederevo and uh, Belgrade. And every time we went through any settlement, there were we were chased by dogs, um, sort of snarling at our heels the whole way. And it's okay in a pair for me because I was at the front, so it was chased away. <laughs> but um, normally, what happens is I disturb them, and then they chase rage. But as we were descending one of these hills, we came across a th- another rider who I, I think was having a little mental break from the dogs. And he thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tag on with these two. That'll keep me safe from dogs. No, wrong. Uh, what that meant was he was at the back of the three of us and he got chased by the dogs instead. <laughs> that- so it wasn't really bad for us. But <laughs> I don't know who it was. I'm sorry, whoever it was. <laughs> Yes, I also have a dog encounter. So uh, in my first night, I slept on the roadside um, between two lanterns, and one was not lit, so I 
could easily lie down there and had some light from the other ones and it was nice. Um, so it was in the grass and I, I um, fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't fall asleep on some... Um, yeah. No, it's not what you think, <laughs> but almost there. So I was woken before my alarm by a dog who wanted to mark its territory on my head. Um, well, I could, I could prevent this situation from happening by just shouting really loudly, but this was like my first night on the TCR, and I thought if every night ends like this, it's not going to be a good time. <laughs> the next nights were better, though. <laughs> I think that's a great segue to actually talk about the most unusual bivy spots from all of the races. So how about we start with Jim, the other side? Uh, Okay, well, firstly, um, we don't bivy. Okay. So we chose to stay in hotels the whole time, (laughs) which is what we did last time as well. Um, Mostly because as a pair... There's so many more things involved trying to bivy when there's two of you to think about that just setting a goal of a hotel that you're going to reach, setting yourself time to sleep and a time to get out again is actually much more time effective, uh, or at least we feel that's the case. So we, we only stayed in hotels, but, but there were a couple of dodgy ones. Um, I think Rach can maybe explain a bit more about, about the worst of those. Do you mean the love hotel? I do mean the love hotel. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't really a love hotel. It was, I think it was a truckers hotel, but it was like the weirdest hotel ever. Jim had seen a picture on booking.com of a pink room. But we, we checked into this hotel and they gave us this room and like the walls were totally red and had love written all over them. And the funniest thing, well, it may be one of those stories where you had to be there, but the funniest thing was I was just standing in the room, like, sorting my stuff while he was showering. And the next thing I know, this weird music comes on. And he was like, Rach, Rach, the shower's playing music to me. (laughs) It was the kind of hotel you might have expected to pay by the hour, really. Oh, wow. That might have been cheaper. Wow. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at MintMobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, Ben. <laughs> so my weird Vivi spot probably didn't feel that weird to me at the time, but uh, it was just cross- crossing into the um, over the Swiss border. And I pulled into a little Swiss village and pulled over onto the side of the road and I was thinking, what am I going to do for sleep tonight? And uh, over on my left, there was a bunch of metal doors, you know, like the ones that you see are public toilets, but none of them were labelled. So I went up to them and three of the four were all locked. The fourth one was open. Uh, It sort of had been left ajar slightly. Um, so I was like, this is brilliant. I'm going to sleep indoors for the first time. Well, the only time on the whole TCR, which was, which was very nice. And, but they were these, um, you know, the disabled toilets. So you can, with a key, key lock from the outside and the inside. So you don't want it to lock on yourself or someone to lock it from outside because then you're stuck inside. Um, so stuff the keyhole with toilet roll. So no one can lock it. It's brilliant. And went in there. There was water so I could brush my teeth and all this good stuff. And lay down on the floor next to the urinal. And it, it, was, it was beautiful. It was warm. It was, it was perfect. And I'd probably been in there five minutes uh, at this time. So I laid down. Lights were still on. And rolled over to my left-hand side to the cubicle door. And there was shit all down the door. <laughs> but it was a good four hours or so. So it was all very nice. <laughs> But it didn't, didn't seem that weird at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I was tired, so it's all good. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm speechless. Uh, <laughs> Bjorn, your, your most unusual baby spot? Well, to be honest, I didn't have really unusual baby spots. I mean, the first two TCRs, I was mainly sleeping at bus stops. Because, you, you know, you have something, so you have a roof above you and mainly you have a bank where you can lay down. And I did this down till Hungary. I was sleeping at a bus stop on my back. And usually I have my, my arms inside the, the BB bag because otherwise, you know, they, they hang down and they start sleeping as well. And, <laughs> and actually, you know, I was inside this BB bag and somehow I moved while I was sleeping. And then <laughs> it was just a small bank, like, you know, and, and I moved a little bit too much. <laughs> what means I was falling down to the concrete oh, no. with my arms still inside the BB bag. <laughs> so I stopped with my <laughs> on the concrete. Oh, and since that, you're going to find me in front of supermarkets, just down in the concrete, <laughs> because I cannot fall down anymore. Very understandable. Um, Fiona, how about you? Yeah, so I also slept in front of a supermarket delivery um, entrance once and I was woken by the delivery guy coming in at four o'clock in the morning and I actually wanted to sleep until five on that day. So that was, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I can actually recommend the supermarket thing. Um, so on this year's TCR, my most unusual baby sport was probably um, this hotel in Murano. So I, I came down the hill into Murano and um, thought I, 
I need a proper sleep tonight. Actually, I want to sleep in a hotel. And then I saw those hotel signs like, um, illuminated on the side of the road. Um, and I thought, okay, perfect. I mean, it's 1.30, but maybe they are still open. Of course they were not. Um, so I, I came, uh, I walked around the hotel and tried to find the entrance and tried to, to enter it. Um, but it was, of course, not manned anymore. Um, so I just walked around the hotel and tried to find a place maybe with a roof over it. And then actually what I found was this lovely swing um, in the hotel garden, which was like a swing for three persons with some cushion on there. So I actually lay down on there. It had a little bit of a roof over it, and I, I had the most amazing four hours of sleep <laughs> outside on Leticia. I was actually woken by um, the guy who brought some, some um, bakery goods in the morning to the hotel. So this is something which is not unusual in, in Germany, Austria, and Italy, um, that bakeries deliver um, out to hotels. So it's usually like a huge brown bag with <laughs> um, some bread in it. And yeah, that, that was what happened. And I didn't steal any bread. So <laughs> yeah, that, that was a really good bivy spot. Excellent. Thank you. Mechanical issues. Over to you, Bjorn. Could you, as it's an unaided race, could you tell us about a mechanical issue which challenged your ingenuity? Well, there was just one, which one was the last? It was the uh, one last year at CB3, where I got this flat tire. Well, actually, I, I cut off the sidewall of my tire. And I don't know whoever used uh, tubeless. The, the first problem is you have to get the tire down from the, from the rim, which is uh, quite hard if, if your hands and fingers are already dumped from previous races and from the TCR. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was the first thing, but I managed to do this. The second thing is I had to... I didn't have any spare milk with me for the tubeless, but I could save the one which was in the old tire. But then was I really got the main problem to get the new tire on it because you really need a lot of pressure very quick. And with any normal pump, it's, it's almost impossible to do this. And I mean, I was not down in like in London or in a big city. I was up in the Great Mountains at Czech Republic. Pretty much there is there were two hotels, nothing else. And I was thinking, well, you need a compressor or something like that to to get it plop up again. And finally, I was actually lucky <laughs> to find the owner of the of this hotel or hostel, and he got an old compressor somewhere down in the last <laughs> corner of his garage. <laughs> It was quite a big one and a lot of dust was on it. <laughs> so he pulled it out of the garage, turned it on for, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. The, the, the pressure builds up and finally I, I managed to, flat it, uh, to, to get some air in there. And then I still had to get the milk in there because I didn't have any tools with me or something else. But I got it done as well. <laughs> but this was the most difficult one. Thank you. Now, I want to touch on nutrition, but more the fun side of nutrition. Um, So for me, whenever I go on a long ride, and when I say long ride, that's like 100 kilometers, probably not your long ride. um, I think about a motivational snack or um, a luxury which kind of focuses and motivates me. In terms of you guys, you have 
a snack or something that was kind of your your last your your motivator your thing that you thought okay if I can keep going I'll treat myself with this I don't know I'll put in like a chocolate bar other chocolate bars or like a sweet or something like that how about for you guys Fiona do you want to kick off well the problem is that you just need to eat a lot on the TCR and if you have just one of those motivational <laughs> snacks or like favorite things to keep you going um, food wise um, it's pretty easy to yeah, get enough of it pretty soon if you eat too much of it so this happened to me with uh, Snickers bars so I, I in principle I consumed like 40 or 50 Snickers <laughs> during the first two days of the TCR <laughs> No, not during the whole, but like the first two days. And um, I couldn't see any Snickers anymore. By now it's okay again. Um, but yeah, so it's just about eating a lot. And um, I think it's good if you enjoy eating in general. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe it's, it's more demotivating if you think about eating at some place, um, sometimes, <laughs> because you really have to eat it a lot, but... Well, there was one time, well, actually at my first TZR, I was thinking about well, eating, having some food at McDonald's after mm. the first checkpoint. And the problem was, in France, the McDonald's was closed. And in the morning where, where I passed it, so I was thinking, ah, oh, this taste would be really nice. And I keep going and going, and finally I end up in the McDonald's in the evening. And there was such a long queue, like I, had, I would have had to wait for it at least an hour to get some food there. So I was, re I was really pissed off about it, you know? <laughs> so I had to keep going, and then over this whole journey down to Turkey, there was no, not one McDonald's <laughs> on the road. There was really none, you know? And uh, I was almost, ah, oh, a McDonald's would be good, some chips and, and the hamburger and the ice cream or so, and there was really none. Then finally I got into Turkey in the morning, and there was a Burger King. And it was... At the time I came there, it was still closed, and I should have had to wait for at least another hour. I was thinking, no, that's too long. And finally, I really got to the finish line. <laughs> First thing I did was <laughs> getting a hotel. <laughs> Second thing, I needed to buy some shoes. <laughs> and the third thing really was going straight to McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Other fast food joints are available. <laughs> um, over to you, Ben. Actually, I think this is why I like TCR. If, if I didn't ride a bicycle, I would be massive. So <laughs> um, anything baked goods. So my motivate... I should have answered this as my motivating question earlier, actually. <laughs> so and this year was amazing. So you're traveling west. You're heading into the good bake bakery stores, <laughs> the patisseries. So, yeah, any small French, Austrian bakery, whatever. And you can go in and you can buy everything that you want to... So, and it doesn't affect you. So it's brilliant. So you just go in and you just go down the line. I think I had one, uh, I don't know where it was, it was in the mountains, and I bought every flavor of croissant that they had. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. So, and that was, that was what kept me going. So, yeah, I love it. Nice. Um, Rachel? I'm a bit like Ben with the baked goods. Uh, my particular weakness is donuts. I love donuts. Um, but the other thing that I really, really like is yop. Um, or any kind of yogurt drink. But yop is my favourite thing. And 
again, I was so excited on arriving in France this year because France is like the world of Yop. So every supermarket has Yop, like corner shops have Yop. In the UK, you can only really get it in a couple of shops and it's really, really depressing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's my sort of weakness, maybe. But <laughs> For me, it's coffee. Getting a good coffee rather than just the rubbish stuff in gas stations that you sometimes get. When you Getting to Italy this year and having a proper coffee, that really nice thick espresso or something you know, with some milk in, that was like the pinnacle of... Uh, <laughs> beverages for the whole trip um, and I, there was a time I think near the end um, just before the final parkour we'd been looking forward to stopping at the McDonald's for coffee um, and we got there and it wasn't open and I I could not believe that it couldn't be open and it, it was like, like the worst moment of the whole trip for me um, fortunately around the corner there was a PMU bar open and there was coffee there but you know, it's, it's not the same as the, the proper Italian stuff where, you know, that's something to look forward to. And ice cream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to... We've got a question, actually, from... Again, from Christian. And this one is um, towards Fiona. Um, how do you manage to stay awake for 20 hours a day? And I think this is one of the key questions that a lot of people have about the TCR is just how do you keep going with so little sleep? To be honest, I have no idea. And now, like, having returned from the TCR and having started working in hospital, um, I really can't imagine surviving on four hours of sleep, even though I'm not cycling. But um, so one key difference between everyday life and the TCR for, for most people probably is that the TCR is just intellectually not really challenging most of the time. So, of course, there are some peaks of intellectual like, um, yeah, challenge, but usually it's in principle just cycling on your line, on the Garmin, not thinking a lot, just trying to keep pedaling and of course like being organized as the thing what it, that I talked about um, that's always in the back of your head but also that is not intellectually challenging this is one of the explanations that I, that I could give you but um, the other is that probably there is just a lot of adrenaline going on in your body um, by all those um, miles on the bike um, and like seeing everything so what I, what I know is that for me, personally, it gets harder by night, which is also why I slept at night and tried to not sleep during the day. So I, I only slept, like, I only did some power naps or shorter naps uh, on the last one and a half days. So I only did two of these for half an hour when my eyelids just came down um, during the day. And other than that, I just um, tried to sleep during the night. And as soon as the sun rose, it became easier but really I don't I, I can't give you a true explanation and I find it hard to believe myself um, <laughs> sorry <laughs> thank you and I guess to the pair to Rachel and Jim is so obviously you're two individuals with different sleeping cycles how did you manage that um, so because we decided to use hotels you kind of set yourself a goal and so this you just push through till you get there um, so we'd sort of ride for most of the morning and first couple of hours of the afternoon and then we'd kind of have a look on booking.com see where we might be able to make it to that night and we'd, we'd book a hotel 
sometimes you get that right and sometimes you, that you get that wrong and it's a little bit too far or it's not quite far enough um but you sort of take the gamble that over the course of the whole event that's going to work out um so once you've got that goal it's then quite easy to just sort of put the sleep thing to one side and you know you're going to sleep when you get there so you just keep going and, until you get there um and then we have a set sort of time that we allow ourselves to sleep um and then we just repeat day after day. Excellent. Thank you. Rachel, do you have anything to add? No. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Just before I should ask, um, I want to touch a bit more on um, race tactics. Um, I mean, we were all dot watching. I wonder if you guys were dot watching as well, looking at where your, your other fellow racers or competitors were and reacting. Was that a motivator? Or was that a slight detractor of your energy? That's an open question to the panel. <laughs> Who'd like to go first? From my side, I minimally. Mm-hmm. I, I look, looked maybe once or twice a day. But I, I, I think from my side, it was, I'm going to ride as far as I could and wanted to. And you, it, it doesn't change too much over a day, so you can kind of if you know roughly that someone is X amount of miles ahead behind, um, there is no need for me to look each hour or whatever. It kind of doesn't change my race. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I also don't really know what's going on with other people's races anyway. So, like, we'll have a look occasionally. I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, I guess, but the... We're mid-pack, so we're not sort of right up at the front. But you can't... There's not really much point in keeping an eye, too much of an eye on people because some people go out too hard, some people go out, like, really slowly and sort of... I don't, you don't know what people's race strategy is. So it's kind of... I guess towards the end you can look. So at the end, for example, for us... We stopped in a cafe about, how far were we from Brest? 50k. 50k from Brest. And at that point, we were, we did look, and we were about third, we think, in the pairs. And then, while we were sitting there drinking our coffee, the pair behind us went past. <laughs> so, but we weren't about to, like, ditch our coffee and race for it, so... <laughs> like, like I said, the coffee was the thing I looked forward to, so not leaving that. <laughs> Um, I definitely started checking when we were really close together, like the first three of us, um, Ben, Jonathan and me. Um, so I definitely started checking a couple of times per day. And then for me, it basically mattered when I went to sleep. Um, so it especially mattered in Switzerland when, when Ben was not too far behind me. So I didn't want to be um, overtaken during the night while I sleep. Um, so I kind of checked before I went to sleep how far behind he is and if it was like 40 kilometers which is two hours in TCR speed I, I calculated um, I would set an alarm after two hours to see if he is like still racing yeah so this is, this is what I did it's a race it's a race <laughs> Yeah, so I did that 
for two nights approximately, and then it was okay again. But um, yeah, I mean, it was exciting at that time, and I <laughs> I needed to check. <laughs> this is true though, because uh, on my last night's sleep, uh, it's when you go to sleep and when you wake up, that is a good time to check. And uh, on my last night's sleep, either my phone alarm didn't go off or I put it off, I don't know. And I wake up a good couple of hours later than I intended to. So I had a massive panic. I was on the phone. I was like, how close is the guy behind me? And uh, I, I had two really rubbish hours on the bike that morning. And that, then it was all good. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a good and bad looking. Okay. And Fionn? Well, I'm, sometimes I look at during the day where someone is before, in front of me or behind of me. And what I mostly very often do is at the middle of the night before I stop to see, I mean, how the people in front and behind of me doing. And mainly I try to push the bike a little bit longer until the other ones have stopped. So I'm, I'll be sure, well, they have stopped and then keep going for another hour and then... Go to bed. <laughs> Just to be a little bit ahead and be a bit more confident. Excellent. Thank you. Um, before we head into the Q&A session, um, I, kind of, I want to touch on um, this great year for female, for women in cycling. So, Fiona, over to you. There have been some big wins for women in ultra-endurance cycling this year. Why do you think women are well-suited to this type of cycling? Well, I think um, this type of cycling is well suited to both genders equally um, um, because it doesn't really depend on... Um, I mean, of course, it also depends on the physical ability to ride your bike fast and far. Um, but this is just one of the aspects um, that are important on the TCR. And I would say this aspect is not dominating the others. Um, so for me... Um, the more I got into this race, the more I felt that it is also important to be able to, to, to ride under sleep deprivation. It is important to have a good route plan that doesn't give you too much troubles while you are out there. Um, it is important to make wise decisions, for example, food-wise, to keep your stop um, stopping time pretty short. Um, so I think a lot of people lose time while they are eating, for example, sitting down, um, yeah, just just leaving time there. Um, and this is something that men and women are equally suited for. Um, it doesn't depend on testosterone levels or, or um, muscle fiber quality or um, yeah, body fat percentage or whatever um, might be different between um, the genders. So I just think that the longer the distance gets, um, the nearer females and males are um, regarding their yeah, endurance. And this is why I think endurance sports is so great. Um, but one thing I would like to, to add to this aspect is that, um, I, I mean, this sport is still male-dominated. And I think um, it, one of the reasons for the, the, the entire world of cycling being male-dominated is that it might be really disappointing and demotivating for women who start cycling um, if they cycle in mixed groups concentrating on sprinting for example because this is really where it comes down more to the physical ability of riding fast for a short amount of time and this is just where 
I feel like men have an advantage over women or like um, if, if um, none of them are really well trained, a woman beginner will usually fare um, weaker than a male beginner. Um, so this is, what, this is one of the aspects that might just feel really demotivating for women. So one piece of advice I, I would give to any one asking me about like how should I get into cycling how should I start with this um, oh I don't feel like I can already train in a mixed group um, I, I would just tell people to go out on your own like just try to plan your own route you can you can ask people around uh, about um, yeah where you should go like nice nice roads or uh, nice rides but Sometimes it's best to start on your own or find a group that fits your needs, um, but you just need to do something that is fun to you on the bike. Um, and if you are having some fun out there, it will keep you going eventually. And um, so I started cycling on my own during doing some touring um, initially, and this is what actually got me hooked, um, the long-distance thing already. So... Um, Yeah, I would say it's it's not wrong to start with long distances, but you should just go at your own pace in the beginning at least, um, and then try to hop on groups and find other people who who um, do it in the same way as you do. But I also feel like um, there is a change happening, and I, I feel like the TCR community is really um, accepting gender equality and promoting it, and this is a great thing um, that I'm super thankful for. I think those are excellent words of encouragement for more women to take up long distance riding and to take up cycling in itself. Um, should we head into the Q&A session? Um, I've got some, to kick off, I've got some online, um, some questions actually to uh, the race organisers, first of all. And then, um, so, Anna. <laughs> um, so two questions have come through. Are there any plans for the TCR route next year? Can you give us any details? <laughs> we do have plans, uh, and we're not telling you anything. <laughs> However, I can tell you, we will be uh, releasing news as usual in November. Um, Mid-November, probably, because um, this is the first year we're doing TPR, so we're fl flat out. So, um, yeah, mid-November, we'll be dropping the news. Excellent. And this question is actually more to the uh, to the racers. Um, which uh, which one of you? Which which uh, racers plan to ride a TCR again next year? Never again. <laughs> <laughs> you always say that. <laughs> I don't believe this. <laughs> I'm going to be on. No one else? No one else? Any other take? One, two, three, four. <laughs> we would love to, but we have to go to a wedding. Oh. But we'd, we're hoping to volunteer at a checkpoint yeah. so that we can... Uh... It's such a good community that we don't want to miss out. 2021, though. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I get a place. 
Um, we'll take um, a few more online questions and then we'll also take some questions from, from the room using Slido. Uh, the code is on the wall. I think that wall. Excellent. Okay, perfect. Um, are there any questions in the room? Okay, perfect. Just a gentleman over there. <laughs> well done, everybody. Fantastic evening so far. I feel like there's two races going on here. There's the athletes and there's the control cars. And I'd like to hear a bit about sleep deprivation, food starvation, petrol anxiety from the, uh, the control cars, because without them, there's no race. <laughs> well, uh, um, this year we had a particularly interesting race between Control Car 1 and Bjorn uh, getting to CP2. Uh, I was freaking out uh, because I really thought he was going to beat us there, and that's not the plan, obviously. Um, so that was pretty stressful. Um, but, yeah, generally speaking, yeah, we have lack of sleep as well, absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, food is... Like, I used to be... Uh, couldn't eat wheat, so, like, travelling across Europe trying to eat out of gas stations and not being able to eat wheat was really rubbish. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I feel like we... Yeah, we're just kind of living, living what the riders live <laughs> Yeah, we're living what they live, but we're not doing any exercise. So, um, yeah, basically I came home like, I'm still struggling with it. <laughs> Actually, I mean, after CP2 this year, I mean, I was seeing also the other side. <laughs> because I was carrying with a photographer. And I must say, I think it's even harder than riding the bicycle and having no sleep because sitting in the car the whole day you're also eating quite a lot <laughs> and the sleep I mean it's, it's not really a good one <laughs> that was my impression of it Uh, Fiona, I'm here on behalf of uh, someone who cannot be here, and she's asked me to take a lot of photos and take a lot of notes, which I will do because you are her role models, but now you're probably also mine. Uh, but the thing I wanted to ask is you've asked about mechanicals. I'm asking about body mechanicals or body not cooperating. Uh, what can we hear from you about kind of injuries or just generally body not wanting to work? On your side. Um, so I react quite badly to bee stings and insect stings. And so this wasn't this year, but the past couple of years I've been stung quite badly both times. Uh, this one didn't end up being too bad, too bad, but it could have been quite unpleasant. So basically I was, I was cycling along somewhere with my, my jersey unzipped and I had a base layer on underneath. And um, it sort of happened in slow motion. So uh, a wasp was coming towards me and hit my chest and it went down my top. And I, I panicked and I thought, I'm just going to lift up my jersey and it will go out from the bottom. 
I was wearing bib shorts. <laughs> so, so the wasp went into my shorts and uh, I got stung where I didn't want to get stung. <laughs> and so I stopped really quickly and uh, I threw my bike on the floor and I took off my jersey and I took down my bib shorts. And so I stood on the side of the road with my genitals in my hands, surveying... And uh, I looked to my left on the other side of the road and there's two old ladies on a bench. <laughs> but it was all cool. <laughs> so that's sort of a body malfunction. Yeah. That's a great one. Um, we, have, um, we have an online question from Anonymous. What would be your top tip for anyone thinking about racing the TCR for the first time? Just go and do it. <laughs> Just do it. Okay. It is one of these things that is accessible to everyone. And you can turn up and you can get round. And it's just... Um, Definitely sort of build up to it, but for sure, everyone can ride a bicycle, and it's, it's very much in your head as well as in your legs. So go for it. Mine, mine would be uh, con- like worry about your sleep, basically. Like When we did it last year, we started off, and we had, we'd made this schedule, and we were like, right, we're going to stick to this schedule. And on the first day, I think we had like two hours sleep or something or other in the- and you just don't appreciate when you first set off how, like, how everything builds up and up and up and the fatigue builds up. You can't get it back. You can try. Like, so we changed our strategy and we started... Like, we had like eight hours sleep one night to try and compensate, but you, you can't get it back. It's gone. So if you screw it up at the start, then that's like... You're kind of like trying to manage that for all of the rest of your race. So... As a first-time tcr I would say, like, try and think about how you're going to sleep, whether it's in hotels or bivvying or whatever, but just try and make a good sleep strategy. Massive congratulations to you all. Uh, we're all very much in awe of you. Um, the big question is about routing, in my mind. And uh, the sort of follow-on is really, how, do you, how did you go about deciding which route to take, which streets were passable? Do you use Google Streets? Do you use other apps? And when you're, when you're um, uh, decide, you know, trying to decide about big routes, big roads and small roads, how do you do that? Do you, do you go down the dual carriageways or avoid them? Um, and then the last follow-up is, when, you've, when you're on the road and, and it's a crap decision you've made, how do you go about sort of deciding which, which, you know, which other route to take? Would you like, yeah, so. For us, uh, we use a lot of different apps. Uh, different, the, the more you can use, the better, basically. So we plan our route in Strava, in Ride with GPS, in Commute, look at Google Maps, we look at Street View. We try and even sort of 
get hold of photos from, particularly for some of the some of the parkour that gets selected for TCR. You can't go on Street View. You can't see what it's like. So you have to use satellite images. Hope that somebody's taken some photos nearby. Look on YouTube even for mountain bike videos because that sometimes is necessary. Uh, and. Um, just try and use as much as you can uh, to get as much information about it then you, you have the best chance of making the most informed decision uh, in terms of busy roads um, sometimes a busy road will be quiet because uh, you're there at 5 in the morning and there's no traffic there whatsoever so then it's okay it depends on how your strategy works out it's probably worth having multiple plans so if you, if you know you're going to be somewhere that's likely to be busy having a backup option is, is usually a good idea and then if you get there at a time of day that's not very convenient for cycling, um, then you do something else instead. Um, in terms of on-the-fly on the routing, the best thing to do is get off the busy road that's not very nice and then decide what to do. Um, and then usually we would look at just, just Google Maps, really. That's kind of the only thing you've got at hand all the time uh, with your phone. Or you can look on your Garmin or whatever device you use as well. Yeah, actually, uh, same for me. So I usually started off uh, planning my, my route on Komoot and then asking uh, other apps or programs about um, certain parts of the of the road. Um, so for busy roads, same. It depends very much on w when you come there. Um, but also on personal preference, I would say. So for me, I... Um, personally prefer to cycle on busier roads because they are flatter usually um, and they are more direct in, in some cases um, but of course um, they, they might also be dangerous at some points but I feel pretty safe on roads um, on which other people in group rides don't feel so safe anymore so I, I knew before that um, my kind of choice uh, That, that I personally would prefer to be on a on a busier but bigger road um, to being on a very small but scenic road. Um, so I think, um, yeah, that's basically it. Okay, excellent. We have time for... Oh, no, Bjorn, after you. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, same for me. I mean, I'm using mainly gypsies to create my track. Um, Of course, there's a lot of experience now in my head, to, so I know which roads are useful or not. Of course, I'm going to using also the bigger roads, because as bigger the road, as faster they are. And I mean, I'm going to race it, which means I want to be fast. Uh, this doesn't mean I'm always going to use it. I mean, I learned my lessons two years ago at the famous E84 in Romania. This were... I would never gonna do it again. This was also the reason last year in Czech Republic because I came really on a similar road with a lot of trucks, very small. That was the reason why I finally left this big road to smaller roads. And I really know I'm never ever gonna do this again. If, if the road is really getting too dangerous, I get off. There's no question anymore. Doesn't matter what position, who is chasing me or not or whatever. Unfortunately, we have time for just one more question. Hi. Uh, my question is for the riders. Uh, if you could relive one moment from this TCR or any of the TCRs that you've done, which moment would that be? <laughs> yeah, who's going first? I haven't got a moment, but a day. I had my best day on a bike 
at TCR7 this year. So I did a, a Vivid in Geneva in a children's play, play area, says AstroTurf. <laughs> wait, wait, sounds, sounds odd. Uh, <laughs> it was AstroTurf, so it was nice and comfortable, had a good sleep. And then climbed out of Geneva at sunrise, dropping down to Annecy. So it was absolutely beautiful. Um, and then it was just a day of mountains. So we did Telegraph, Galibia. Um, what else did we do? Outdoors. And then a balcony road. I don't even know the name of that one. But uh, another beautiful climb in, in the end of the day in the darkness. And it was just stunning. So it wasn't a moment, but it was a day. And it's, it's really clear. So most of it's not clear, so that day was good. <laughs> I think mine was... Similarly, it's, it's kind of hard to pick, like, just a moment. Um, but uh, mine was uh, close to, in proximity, like, area to Ben's, and we'd stayed overnight sort of halfway up the Maloya, so just i don't think we were in italy yet is that austria anyway you climb up the rest of um the maloya pass and it's absolutely stunning at the top and we'd ridden sort of into sunrise and it's the most bizarre pass you'll ever go to well that i've ever been to so far anyway and there's like a lake at this pass with like sailing yachts on it and you're at like two thousand meters or something or other it's like what anyway and then it's got an a Scary for me, but pretty sensational. I can appreciate that. Like spaghetti sort of zigzag descent. And then you just cruise along the lakes. And like a lot of people found Como quite scary because it was, it was like wacky races. But it was amazing. It was like... Uh, it wasn't scary so like dangerous to me anyway at the time that we were there. But it was sort of entertaining. So it passed really quickly. The food was sensational when we stopped and it was just sunny and glorious. And for like two seconds, I felt like I was on holiday (laughs) (laughs) instead of racing. (laughs) To be honest, I was just singing all the time now. What should I tell you? Because there are just too many moments over all the TCRs I have done. They're all kind of different ones. But I cannot tell you one special, specific, specific one where I say this is really a special one. There are really too many of them. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Market. 
I have one moment that was kind of um, suggestive of the entire TCR, which was when I arrived at the first control point, and um, I was feeling really good. I had enjoyed um, everything until that point, and uh, the first control point was located in a in an extremely beautiful area in Bulgaria. I had I really hadn't expected it to be this stunning. Um, and I arrived there, and um, I was asked by the podcast team um, what I think in which position I was. And I was like, well, maybe 20 or 30 or somewhere there. And they were like, well, you're number five. And I was so surprised to hear that. And it actually um, motivated me for the entire rest of the day. And like the next day, I was like, wow, I'm in the top 10. Um, and yeah, so this was like the start of this surprising journey that followed and um, yeah but this was actually one of the moments that I will probably remember for a long time <laughs> it's not all just about the riding for me it's about the interactions you have with people on the road and these they're all tiny little things that stick into my head and are probably completely meaningless to the rest of you but um, things like sitting outside a little shop in the middle of nowhere in Bosnia drinking a coke and some young lad walks across the road, asks where you're from. You say Manchester, and he says, United or City. <laughs> and <laughs> you get the answer right, and you get a fist bump. And, and that's, there's those kind of things that, that stick in the memory most. <laughs> United was the right answer. on that occasion oh sorry I knew something was going to go wrong thank you and on that note (laughs) unfortunately that was um, the last of our questions and it's all going I'm dropping everything now Um, the um, panellists will be on hand um, to answer any questions um, while we have a little break Um, before we go I'd like us all just to say a very warm thank you to all our panellists for sharing their insights and experiences. That's okay.